So today, Senate Democrats decided it was time to save President Obama from the inconvenience of having to veto a bill that would stop abortion after 20 weeks, because this is what Democrats do. Remember that time when Democrats said safe, legal, and rare? Yeah, they were lying. Bill Clinton used to say that back in 1996. It ain't true. Safe and legal and rare is not real. Safe and legal means not rare. I mean, why should it be rare, after all, if it's just like an appendectomy? And the truth is that Democrats have been glorifying abortion for years now. They try to claim that they don't glorify it, but they do. And the latest indicator that they're glorifying abortion is this new hashtag that's trending on Twitter and Facebook, hashtag ShoutYourAbortion. There's an activist, her name is Lindy West. She's one of the ladies who started this idiotic and, and immoral routine. And she tweeted, quote, My abortion was in 2010, and the career I've built since then fulfills me and makes me better able to care for the kids that I have now. Hashtag shout your abortion. What a decent and wonderful human being she is. And it's a good thing that she didn't decide that she really needed that raise because the kids she has now wouldn't exist. The truth is that all of the children of these hashtag campaign women, they're not able to hashtag shout your abortion because they're dead. The absolute evil of this campaign should be pretty self-evident, but it isn't because we purposefully blind ourselves all the time to what abortion is rather than facing it squarely and head on. Euphemisms, they're the last resort of the morally obtuse. Abortion is a euphemism, and so is termination. We're constantly using euphemisms in order to make ourselves feel better about being complicit in the great evil of our time. But this particular hashtag campaign, combined with the Democrats' action in the Senate, it reveals a pretty stunning truth. For advocates of abortion, it was never about a reluctant, difficult, emotional choice. It was always, always about the moral mainstreaming of a totally and completely immoral act. And yes, by the way, it is your business, and it's your business if you're a woman, and it's your business if you're a man. All this nonsense about if you don't have a womb, then you can't speak about this stuff. It's just garbage. If you weren't a slaveholder back in 1858, you still had a responsibility to fight slavery. It doesn't require special status in order to fight evil. You just have to be a mensch. You just have to be a human being. Hashtag shout your abortion. It's just as disgusting as hashtag shout your murder. It's because we refuse to acknowledge that, that the killing continues. I'm Ben Shapiro, and this is The Ben Shapiro Show. No Isn't tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So here's the deal. Today, Senate Democrats have voted down a proposed bill from Senate Republicans that would ban abortion after 20 weeks. It was called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. They called it the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act specifically because they wanted to point out that these kids can feel pain, that if you're talking beyond 20 weeks, and the truth is, even before 20 weeks, the unborn can feel pain. But Senate Democrats don't care about that. They actually blocked the bill to prevent President Obama from even having to veto it. This is the beauty of Republicans being a bunch of kabuki theater idiots. Republicans are terrible at this. Basically, the campaign for Republicans now seems to be, essentially, elect us, and then we'll do show votes. And then you'll want to elect us because we did a show vote, and then we'll do more show votes. This is sort of how this works. So they put up a show vote on the what they called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. They knew it was going nowhere. Mitch McConnell didn't force Obama to veto it, which he could have. All he had to do was use what they call the nuclear option. The nuclear option is the option where you go to a procedural motion, and with 51 votes, you can then pass a bill instead of having to wait for cloture, which will require 60 votes. The Democrats ended up voting this one down, even though there were 54 votes in favor of the bill. McConnell knew that. He put it up anyway. It's all for show. In any case, the Democrats decided that it was just worthwhile. It had to be that abortions after 20 weeks had to be protected. By the way, it's worth noting what the actual current abortion restrictions are state by state in the United States. Right now, 
There are seven states and the District of Columbia where there are no regulations on abortion at all. Any time in the pregnancy, for any reason, you can have an abortion. Alaska, Colorado, D.C., New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and Vermont, all of those, a woman can obtain an abortion at any point for any reason. So next time you hear people say that there are already restrictions on abortion, that's not true. In most states, the restriction is what they call viability, but that's to be decided by a doctor on a case-by-case basis. That's not a hard and fast standard as to what point you can have an abortion and what point you can't. Okay, so all the Democrats who are out there defending Planned Parenthood, all the Democrats who are out there defending the right of a woman to have an abortion after 20 weeks, they give the lie to this whole safe, legal, and rare nonsense. The truth is that if you think of an abortion like an appendectomy, there's no logic, none, that suggests that you should be sad about it. I mean, I know that for me, I've had surgeries. I was never sad about the surgery. I've had a hernia surgery. I don't remember waking up the next morning and feeling guilty or shame-faced about my hernia surgery. Um, But the fact is abortion is not that, and that's why people are very awkward about this. Next time you hear somebody say that people should make abortion safe, legal, and rare, ask them why rare. Why why does rare matter? If it's a moral act, why should it be rare? Why shouldn't it be common? Why shouldn't it be used just as a form of birth control? Which, by the way, is what a huge number of, of, of abortions are. They are attempts at birth control. They're women who are getting abortion after abortion after. It's not one time. They're getting abortion after abortion after abortion. Well, Democrats celebrate abortion. Hillary Clinton is a very different candidate than her husband was. Back in 96, Bill Clinton campaigned on safe, legal, and rare. Today, Hillary Clinton does not. And just on Sunday, Hillary actually told one of the Sunday shows, she said, quote, I think the kind of late-term abortions that take place are because of medical necessity. That's a lie, obviously. There are about 18,000 post-20-week abortions in the United States every year. She said this kind of gets back to whether you respect a woman's right to choose or not. And so it's a woman's right to choose as to what constitutes human life, which as a Jew I find awkward because typically when we end up in a situation where people get to choose what constitutes human life, it gets super awkward because... The people who define what human life is tend to be the people who want to kill certain other people. And for, for those of us who actually are okay with the concept of human life being human life, we don't want to kill people. The people who are okay with killing people typically want to redefine human life for their own convenience. Well, Hillary Clinton is not the most popular woman in the Democratic Party. The most popular woman in the Democratic Party, of course, is Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, who's a real charmer. I know Professor Warren, as I knew her at Harvard Law School from way back when, uh, she is a delight, and by delight I mean she's absolutely not a delight. She's a horror show. And uh, and Elizabeth Warren went on the floor of the Senate to talk about the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Here is what it sounded like. She is so irritating, but we'll play it anyway. Let's take a look. To defund Planned Parenthood. I didn't think that the Republican leadership could sink any lower than trying to defund women's cancer screenings and access to birth control. Okay, let's pause it there for but one then second. I... Okay, first of all, just to point out, I don't know where all the Democratic women get their blazers, but it's apparently the same store. <laughs> and whether it's Hillary Clinton wearing her orange jumpsuits or Elizabeth Warren wearing what appears to be a, a, a jacket from the closet of Cookie Monster, uh, I, I don't know where they shop. But in any case, what she's saying there, that, that that's what Planned Parenthood does, that what they do is cancer screenings, this is nonsense. They don't do any sort of, of mammograms. They've always said they do mammograms. They don't. Planned Parenthood doesn't do mammograms. They refer out for mammograms, and there are plenty of other clinics that do these sorts of things and don't also provide abortions. Whenever you hear people say that only 3% of the services provided by Planned Parenthood are abortion services, this is rather misleading because the fact is that the number of women who go in for abortion services is significantly higher than 3%. They go in for 
a, a number of services. They may go in for a screening and they get a piece of literature and they get an abortion. Well, that would mean that one third of the services they received were the actual abortion. Plus, that really doesn't cut a lot of weight. I mean, the fact is that probably what the mafia does is only 3% murder, but that doesn't mean it's not the mafia. In any case, here is Elizabeth Warren as she continues to make the case for late-term abortion. Well, the bill that we're voting on tomorrow, and I felt sick to my stomach. Here we are just days away from another reckless Republican government shutdown, and the Republicans think the best use of our time is to vote on a bill to give the government the power to intrude on the most wrenching, intimate, private medical decisions a woman will ever make. Okay, let's pause it right there. The it's private, it's wrenching, it's something that you feel deeply. Why is it wrenching? Why? Seriously, why, why is it wrenching? I don't understand the logic. Why would you possibly feel wrenched about a decision that's as easy as getting an appendectomy or getting a kidney stone removed? I mean, it's just a piece of your body, right? Why, why should it be wrenching? And if it is wrenching, wouldn't that suggest it's immoral? I mean, we're not talking here about cases of rape or incest. We're not talking about cases where a woman feels morally wrenched because that's a tiny, tiny percentage of the cases. And I promise you, Elizabeth Warren doesn't just want to outlaw abortion except in the cases of rape and incest. She, she wants to have abortion across the board available. But this is what churns her gut. What churns her gut is that people are interfering in her decisions. So let me get this straight. For Democrats, they can interfere in every aspect of our health care. They can have Obamacare control every aspect of what we do. They can have the IRS take a look at every dinner receipt that we had in the last year. They can intrude upon our gun rights. They can intrude upon our free speech rights. They can come after us if we make a video on YouTube that doesn't have anything to do with riots in Benghazi. That's not an invasion of privacy, but it's an invasion of privacy when you move to protect a separate human life. All of this is based upon the idea, of course, there is no separate human life. Whenever you hear, it's one of the most irritating things. I'm so sick of hearing it in this particular argument. You're constantly hearing over and over, get your hands off my body. Lady, I ain't interested in your body. I promise you. Especially Elizabeth Warren. Not interested. And there's this routine, I'm interested in your body. I'm not interested in your body. In fact, I've never met a man when he met a woman, he's like, God, I'm so interested in your body, particularly your womb. That's the part I'm most interested in. There has never been a man alive who has ever done this. It has never happened at any point in human history. If men were truly about controlling women's body, the last part they are interested in controlling is the womb. There are lots of other parts of the body men are more interested in right off the bat. But the fact is that the only thing I'm interested in controlling is the human life that you're trying to kill in there. But Elizabeth Warren ignores the logic of all of this, and she continues to rant. Here we go want to debate over 20-week abortion ban. So let's talk about exactly what that means. Nearly 99% of all abortions take place in the first 21 weeks of a woman's so pregnancy. Let me repeat, nearly 99% are in the first 21 weeks. So based on statistics alone, this bill isn't going to make a big difference in the number of abortions. Okay, pause that for but a second. For the women 18,000 lives is a big difference. 18,000 lives is an actual thing. And it is insane and ridiculous that she just discounts that. 18,000 lives would be six times the number of people who are killed in 9-11 every single year. But don't worry, it's not a big difference. It's not, and, and here's the thing. If it's not a big difference, then what are you whining about? What's the big deal? Right? If it's just a marginal issue, why not just let it go? Why is it so deeply important? And the reason it's deeply important, folks, is because it is obvious to anyone that when you see a picture of a baby at 20 weeks or 19 weeks or 21 weeks or 22 weeks, when you see these pictures, this is a human child. This is not a cluster of cells. I promise you. I've seen my wife's ultrasounds. I went to every ultrasound for our first child. I will go to every ultrasound for our second child. I know what a baby looks like when it is in the womb. 
And you can see pictures of kids who have been miscarried at 19 weeks. They look like children. And this is what makes it awkward for folks like Elizabeth Warren. And this is why the, the left, they have to use euphemisms. Euphemisms are necessary. It's abortion. It's termination. It's never, here's what the baby looks like and here's what you do to it. Because when you start talking about what you actually do to the baby, when you start talking about taking a curette, it's called dilation and curettage. When you talk about taking a curette and putting it in the womb of a woman and then chopping up the baby into pieces before vacuuming it out into a sink, that sounds a lot less sanitary than termination. I mean, it's so funny. We have all these post-apocalyptic movies that are now making the rounds, The Hunger Games, and, and you see these, The Maze Runner. You see all, you see all these movies, these post-apocalyptic movies. And in all these post-apocalyptic movies, always the evil government, whenever they take somebody out to kill them, say, take him out and terminate him. Right? Take him out and just get rid of him. It's always some euphemism that's used. We use these euphemisms every single day, and that's what makes all of this palatable, because if we actually looked it in the face, it wouldn't be quite as palatable. One of the people who's pushing this hashtag shout your abortion routine is a lady named Amelia Bono. Uh, the shout your abortion campaign is, is this campaign that's now been pushed forward by folks on the, on the far left to celebrate abortion. It's not just enough that, that abortion take place. We have to celebrate it because, after all, they're trying to fight exactly what I'm talking about, this sense of unease that people have about abortion. Instead, what they want is they want to feel easy. They want to feel free about abortion, and why shouldn't they? I mean, at least they—you know what? The shout-your-abortion people are actually consistent. I will give them points for consistency. Elizabeth Warren is inconsistent. Hillary Clinton is inconsistent. But these people are actually consistent because they embrace exactly what they're doing. One of the ladies who, who founded it, her name is Amelia Bono, and she wrote, quote, Plenty of people still believe that on some level, if you are a good woman, abortion is a choice which should be accompanied by some level of sadness, shame, or regret. But you know what? I have a good heart. And having an abortion made me happy in a totally unqualified way. Why wouldn't I be happy that I was not forced to become a mother? Not forced to become a mother. Talk about euphemism of euphemisms. Forced to become a mother. Forced to become a mother. Did, did I force you to grow? If I gave you some sort of drug that would prevent you from growing as a child, am I preventing you from being forced to grow? Or were you going to grow and now I have actively stopped the process of growth? What's forcing you to become mother, ladies, that you got pregnant and now you're going to have to have the baby because that's what nature sort of dictates. But what's amazing, what's truly amazing about this little quote here is the I have a good heart line. I have a good heart. And having an abortion made me happy in a totally unqualified way. So in other words, your own evaluation of the quality of your heart is what matters here. I have a good heart. Well, I guess, well, now the debate's over. You have a good heart. If only Hitler had said that. That'd have been great. I have a good heart. And I feel totally happy those Jews are out. They were so annoying. And all their money in their noses, ah, oh, it was awful. I have a good heart, but I have a good heart. Okay, this is the difference between left and right. I don't care about the state of your heart. I truly don't. I don't care whether it's enlarged or whether you consider it good. I don't care whether you have coronary artery disease. All I care about is what you do. All I care about is what you do. I have a good heart. Such unbelievable BS. It's, it, it is truly amazing. So I, I do have another question that, that comes up from all of this, which is the Pope is visiting this week. He's visiting the United States. He's in Washington, D.C. And if you've been following at all what the Pope has been doing, this Pope is a disaster area. And I'm just going to put it out there straight. Not every Pope is a disaster area. John Paul II was great. Benedict was great. This Pope is a disaster area. This Pope was in Cuba just a few days ago. He celebrated his first Mass in Cuba just a few days ago. And the Vatican invited a bunch of dissidents, a bunch of Cuban dissidents, Marta Beatriz Roque and Miriam Lieva. They attended a Vespers service, and, and the Cuban regime took these people and tossed them out. One opposition group said that 22 of the 24 people who were invited were tossed out by the Cuban regime. What exactly did Pope Francis, this great humanitarian, do about it? Nothing. He did nothing. According to the UK Telegraph, quote, 
The message delivered by the Pope in two addresses to the large crowd was more pastoral than political, and he refrained from issuing even coded criticism of the communist government. Now, the reason I, I'm coming down hard on him here is because Pope John Paul II went to Poland famously and did mass in 1979, communist Poland, then occupied by the Soviets. And he said, he specifically said that he had been made Pope as a Pole because there was a, because the, the Poles could be a special, quote, witness of his cross and his resurrection, which prompted the crowd to start chanting, we want God in a communist country. Right? Literally a million people in the streets chanting, we want God, because Pope John Paul II was not a pansy. But Pope Francis has a perverse set of values, so he said nothing. And now he's going to come to the White House, and President Obama has invited a transgender man and a gay bishop to meet the Pope, naturally, because when President Obama senses an advantage, President Obama is a vicious politician. He senses an advantage. He's going to push it ahead. The Pope is coming at a time when Planned Parenthood defunding is on the table. He's coming at a time when Planned Parenthood is the major issue in social politics in the United States. Is the Pope going to say anything about that? Absolutely not. And if, even if he does, the media won't cover it. So maybe he will, but it'll be off to the side because he's too busy forming a new relationship with his fellow leftist, President Obama, and apparently that relationship is more important than his relationship with his co-moralists. Or maybe President Obama is his co-moralist and abortion just ranks lower on the scale of values then, for example, income redistribution, because the Pope doesn't like capitalism, and he's labeled it a great evil, which demonstrates both moral stupidity and a tremendous ignorance of how economics works, because there's been no greater force for empowering people and making them rich than capitalism, which is why when you look at the most heavily restricted economies around the world, that's where the people are the poorest. It is sad that the Pope really has the ability to, to derive such and drive, more, more importantly, the, the, important, the, the ability and the power to drive conversations is using that in order to push all of this leftism at the same time that America is having a crucial debate over whether or not we ought to kill a million kids a year. And the Pope is going to talk about the poor in America and how terrible they have it when all the poor in America have a microwave, an air conditioner, a refrigerator, and a TV, but he's not going to spend substantial time chiding the President of the United States over the fact that the President of the United States just threatened to veto a bill that would protect a child after 20 weeks of development. And folks, that's five months. Okay, there ain't a woman alive who's pregnant in five months who thinks of that as a fetus. Not one. There are zero women who believe that. My wife, first of all, my wife from the first moment was calling it a baby, right? I mean, and this is true for all women who want their baby, understand it's a baby. All women who don't, sometimes they call it a baby when they decide they want it, sometimes they don't. Again, you can't redefine human life that way. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out. But the fact that the Pope is, uh, is uh, I, I would be shocked if the Pope makes this a major issue. I would certainly be shocked if the media jumps on it because the media have decided this is their Pope. And so far, they ain't wrong. Well, meanwhile, in other domestic political news, Scott Walker is out of the race. And importantly, Scott Walker jumped out. When he jumped out, he said that the other candidates should also start dropping out so that they could stop Donald Trump. We'll play the clip, and then I'll explain why this is a very bad idea from Scott Walker, why this is politically stupid. Here's the governor of Wisconsin who flamed out in this campaign in a pretty major way. Sadly, the debate taking place in the Republican Party today is not focused on that optimistic view of America. Instead, it has drifted into personal attacks. In the end, I believe that the voters want to be for something and not against someone. Instead of talking about how bad things are, we want to hear how we can make them better. Okay, let's everyone. pause it right there. 
Okay, so there are a couple of things that are deeply wrong with what Scott Walker is saying right here, and and wrong in political sense and wrong in a in a moral sense as well. Number one is the narrative point that he's making. First of all, I don't take my advice on how to campaign from a guy who just dropped out at under one percent after leading in Iowa with twenty five. Okay, typically that's not the guy I go to for. I need some narrative political advice. I'm going to go to the super boring governor from Wisconsin who just flamed out to the extent that he had $20 million in the super PAC bank, blew through all of it in two months because he had 90 staffers on payroll and just assumed magically that two debate performances wouldn't do anything to him. I'm not going to take his advice on politics. Second point here, when he goes directly after Donald Trump, all he's doing is ensconcing Trump as the favorite of his own people. Trump's whole routine is I'm being attacked by everybody. So now you have Scott Walker dropping out and saying, everybody attack Trump. What do you think Trump supporters are going to do? Now they feel like victims again. That's the whole point of Trump's routine. Well, Trump said it himself. He said, I'm going to whine, I'm going to whine, I'm going to whine until I win. I'm going to whine until I win. Well, this gives him another opportunity to whine. So it's stupid politics. If you really want to drop out, which I agree with, and, and consolidate support against Trump, which is totally fine, shut up about it. You don't have to go out there and say it. And then there's the, the final point about what Scott Walker is doing here. What he's saying about narrative, that people want something to be for, not just something to be against. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. People want something to be for because they are against something. That's the point. You need an enemy. You do need an enemy. And it's not just you need an enemy, somebody who disagrees with you on policy. And this is the problem with the optimistic candidates like Scott Walker or the optimistic candidates, yes, like Marco Rubio. The problem with some of these optimistic candidates is that what they sort of suggest is if we just present a happy vision of the United States where everything is going great and we can only make it better, and the people on the other side... As Reagan used to say, the people on the other side, they're well-intentioned. They just don't know what they're doing. Politics has evolved beyond that. We now live in a political world where President Obama suggests that his political opponents are the enemy. He wants to put his boot on the neck of BP. There's a president who wants you to bring a gun to a knife fight. There's a president who specifically said that some of his political opponents are terrorists. In, in that world, you can't fight on the basis that Hillary Clinton is well-intentioned. It just doesn't work that way. This is why, why Trump is resonating. And by the way, why well, I think Carly Fiorina is starting to resonate because she's picked up the message as well. And that is the people we're fighting in this political fight, number one, they're not on our own side. And number two, the people we're fighting in this political fight are not well-intentioned. We don't all want the same future for the country. So I respect Scott Walker and his record. I'm sad that politics now no longer takes into account record as much as it does sort of bloviation and, and loudness and brashness and all the rest of that. That also happens to be the reality. I mean, there's no question that glitz and glamour are part of the race. If Marco Rubio gained 20 pounds and had a bulbous nose, he wouldn't be a front runner by any stretch of the imagination. He and Scott Walker would basically be in similar boats, although Rubio is smoother than Scott Walker is. But most of all, we don't live in a political climate where the whole optimistic vision of America, don't paint the other guys as bad, don't paint America as in a, in a downhill spiral. That's not going to work. Everybody knows it's BS, and everybody wants to have their anger not not justified because it is justified. They want to have it represented. They want to feel a they, they want the catharsis of knowing that their candidate understands the anger at the other side. That their anger they, they don't need someone lecturing them on you don't need to be angry because guess what you know what in the United States today you do need to be angry with everything that's going on right now you should be angry and the people on the other side know damn well what they're doing. They know exactly what they're, they're not ignorant. Obama is not incompetent. Obama is not just misguided. President Obama has bad intentions for the country from where we sit. He's somebody who wants to change the nature of the country. That is certainly true of Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. They all have bad intentions. And by the way, folks on the left never have a problem labeling folks on the right with that brush. This is why Scott Walker is out. He couldn't draw any sort of moral contrast. All he was was a giant shade of gray. 
And, and you know, at a certain point, when you fade into the wallpaper, no one's going to care if you drop out. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. I'm Ben Shapiro. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.